0: Art is more than just a composition of beautiful colors and carefully placed brushstrokes. When we can think about it more expansively, that is. Welcome to the Art of Podcast, a show that unveils the masterpiece resulting from you taking your healing into your own hands. I'm your host, Leah Fisher, a trauma survivor turned multi awarded reflectionist artist with a master's degree in counseling. My highest intention is to create a community for self healers. Together, we'll unlock your own creative capacity to design a life of holistic wellness and embrace the healing journey one step at a time. This is a Soulfire Productions podcast. You're listening to the Art of Podcast, and this is episode number three. Well, hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Art of Podcast. This is a very special day for me because I'm going to be telling you my personal story and personal history and with the goal of providing some context about why we're participating in this podcast and what we're trying to do. And this is not the easiest thing in the world for me. I've I've recorded this a few times and I've been nervous and I've been talking too fast and really... Um, not able to show up because I still have some nervousness about really showing up as me with my truth and taking off all my masks and really just showing up for you here in the space. And I mean, recording my story, I mean, it's, you know, it's different. I've, I've told it before, but it's never been recorded. So I'm doing this for us. I'm doing this for what we're working on for really showing up to show you that I'm here with you and I am here to witness you. I'm here to kind of go along with you on whatever your personal journey is. And I I think that would be a little hypocritical for me to ask you to bear your soul and to be vulnerable with me and in this community without me showing up that way too. But listen, I mean, I wouldn't have been able to do this really early on in my healing because it's too hard. I've done so much work around what happened to my family and what happened to me that I can, I can come at it on the other side of really investing some time and some resources into getting some healing around it and It's not this big, open, gaping wound anymore. You know, I've I've gone, I've done the work. I've gone through the process and I can really come to you from this, this, I don't know, this healed place, this at least not completely healed because I don't know if it ever will be, but it's not this huge source of pain for me anymore. So I can show up for you and say, you know what, your pain doesn't have to, be this intense forever, no matter what happened to you. So yeah, I'm going to tell you about my story. And the other reason why I really want to do this is because I value connection. I value being seen and being known by other people. And let me tell you something. If you're walking around in your life and you are showing up with your masks on and you are really pretending like everything is okay and just it's kind of like this really dishonest way of living. I know it's, you, we think it's how we survive, this image management, just telling everything, that everyone we're okay and everything is perfect. But what it's really doing is it's very isolating because if you don't show up as who you really are, no one knows you. No one knows you. It's a very lonely place to be. I lived there for a long time and I didn't know why I was so lonely. I thought it was, I don't know, because there weren't enough people around. Although I had relationships and I had family and I had friends. I was still lonely all the time. But the reason was, is because I wasn't showing anyone who I really was. I just thought it was because, I mean, I, you know, I wasn't showing people who I was because uh, I thought they wouldn't like what they saw. It was too sad. It was too painful. It was too lonely, but what I didn't realize is when you show up as the human you are, people meet you there because everybody has their story. Everybody has their pain, the stuff that they're not willing to bring to the party. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to bring this to the party today. So I'm going to go ahead and get started. So I'm 48 years old. I was born and raised in Dallas, Texas. My parents were also from Dallas. They Went to high school here, but they didn't meet until they were actually traveling to San Francisco to go live on a commune. (laughs) Very, very hippie, right? So groovy. And I, you know, I can just picture them now. My dad always used to tell this story about how he fell in love with my mom because she could cook an apple pie on an open fire. I hated the story growing up. I hated the whole hippie thing growing up. I just wanted them to be normal whatever that means, but I knew that being hippies and living on a commune was not it. <laughs> they named me after a Spanish gypsy that they knew there. Her name was Leah Marnay, and that's my, my name, and they fell in love and came back to Dallas, got married, got pregnant with me, decided they were going to move to Denver because that's where my father went to college. He had got a degree in English and psychology, which I went on to earn later on in my academic career. For those of you who want to, you can psychoanalyze that. I don't really know what that means, but, uh, you know, I remember us being happy in Denver. We had a beautiful garden. All the food we ate was out of that garden. And my parents seemed happy. My mom was working. My dad was going to school and I just remember this atmosphere of lightness and happiness and but you know one day and I was two I was four years old so I don't remember when the switch was but my dad started to present with symptoms of schizophrenia and this is so normal for this time around 25 for men to kind of slip into this diagnosis and for those of you who don't Know about this or or haven't had an experience with schizophrenia, this is definitely not something you want to be diagnosed with. It's kind of the mother of, or should I say the motherfucker, of all psychological diagnoses. You know, it's just, it's devastating for the person who is afflicted with it, as also the family. I mean, it's debilitating. So when I was four, my dad got diagnosed with this and really started to disintegrate. Disintegrate as the person that I knew as a child. And that person never really came back. My mom knew that we couldn't live with him. She did what she could to protect me, and she decided to divorce my father and move back to Dallas. So my dad went and dealt with this illness. He went into a mental hospital, which would become... A pattern for him over the next 20 years he would be in and out of the really hospital, trying to cope with taking his medication like it is with so many people that struggle with mental illness he didn't like his medication it didn't you know it made him feel flat it made him feel depressed it made him sleep all the time so he would stop taking it and In turn, he would medicate with alcohol and pot, and there was LSD involved. I think that he really liked the LSD, and he was doing it a lot, which, I mean, I'm not saying it caused the schizophrenia, I'm not sure that it did, but it, it sure didn't help it. It could have kicked it in, it could have made it worse, but he was kind of that child of the 60s and 70s, he was really into that, and it didn't help with his, his diagnosis. So he really struggled the first few years and I didn't see him a lot. I think that my mom and my grandparents really wanted me to be sheltered from what he was going through because he was pretty bizarre from what I, what I remember. So at the time my dad's in and out of the hospital. My mom is being a single mom. I mean, by this time, she might be 25 or 26 years old. Looking back on this, I can't imagine dealing with this at that age. When I was 26, I was so, <laughs> so irresponsible and so selfish. And, you know, my mom was dealing with a really heavy load with all of this going on, but she was a single mom. She was waiting tables supporting us and my mom had struggled because her mom was also very abusive, and her father left when she was very young. So my mom started drinking and using drugs in an early, early age. And I think when she married my father, she the drinking probably subsided, maybe a little bit. And you know, they were definitely smoking pot and using drugs. So she was she was struggling with addiction from a really young age. But when she was single. And my dad wasn't around and she was working all the time. The alcoholism really kicked in and she picked the drug usage back up. And, you know, she just, uh, she developed a heroin habit that also lasted maybe for the next, I don't know how long it was, 15 or 20 years. I don't, I don't know exactly. The first time I was aware of her heroin use was I was about five or six years old. It's really hard to hide. And so this was just kind of the underlying uh, context for my childhood and my teenage years. My dad in and out of mental hospitals, uh, my mom dealing with her addiction issues and my my grandparents, my poor grandparents on both sides. I mean, they were they were so supportive as much as they could be, especially my my father's parents you know, they, um, they were so worried about me and they were so worried about their son, but they, they did everything that they could to instill our family values into me about education and love of family and self-respect. And, you know, they, they did everything that they could to protect me, but they just couldn't be there all the time. They had their hands full with their son, my father, and, you know we all did the best we could my my mom's mom the same thing she had her her hands full with with her daughters and i think everybody was really worried and just really did the very best they could but in this situation in this environment what was what was i doing what was i like you know i looked at everything going on around me and said i want out of this i want to be different than this so as a young child maybe six or seven. I learned how to maybe a little older than that, but I learned how to pretend like I was normal. I learned how to lie. I learned how to participate in a severe image management routine. And just kind of put on this face to the world like, yeah, I'm normal. I'm healthy. I'm happy. Um and I went with that. I ran with that and went with that for a long time. And you know what? It was effective. If people asked me about my parents, I would just make up stories about some normal family. Maybe I'd seen them on TV or I'd been to a friend's house and saw how normal people acted, what they looked like, what their house was like. And I would just paired that to people. And, you know, um, I think it was kind of effective. But at least it helped me survive. At at least it helped me pretend like that was what was really going on so I could function in my school. And I had friends and and academically, I wasn't great, but I, I, I mean, I survived. I made good enough grades to get into college. And by the time I did go to college, it was, it was amazing. My mom had gotten into recovery. My dad had gotten into recovery. I mean, People just don't really kick heroin habits that easily. And my mom did that. It's pretty amazing. And my dad also, he, he leveled out a little bit as he got older. And, and schizophrenics tend to do that. And by the time he was in his 40s, he was uh, he was living a pretty normal life, actually. If you met him, you wouldn't know that he really suffered from schizophrenia. You might think he was a little odd, but he was very charming He was very active in his AA group and people loved him there. And he, both he and my mom gave a lot of service in those 12 step groups. And I'm really proud of them for overcoming some things that to be frankly honest, I, I don't think I could have overcome it. And I don't think most people do. And, and they did. And that was great for them. That was great for them. But when I was going to college, I was not in that space. I, I wasn't in recovery. I took all that baggage and all those lies and all those ineffective coping mechanisms and took them with me straight to college. And I think that on the outside, I, I presented as, as pretty okay, but emotionally, I was just this one big well of unhealed neediness. And where this showed up was in my relationships. And I have to tell you, I feel so sorry for the people I dated in college because I needed so much. I needed a guru, a therapist, a father, a babysitter. I mean, it was, it was so bad. And when I didn't get what I needed from these people, I had the emotional bandwidth of maybe a a three-year-old maybe. (laughs) So it was always highly inflammatory and, um, no one was prepared to be what I needed in a romantic relationship in college so I went through a few relationships they were all very emotional and intense and destructive and so you know I just thought I was bad at relationships I had no idea that my past with my parents was affecting my romantic relationships in fact I definitely blamed the men they obviously weren't showing up in the correct way. <laughs> I took zero responsibility for any of that. And wow, what a trip! But, uh, you know, I went to college. I graduated. I, I had some emotionally hard times. But for the most part, I really enjoyed my college experience. I met some great friends there, some friends that are still in my life today that I love and cherish. But... Uh, I left college, began working, took my horrible relationship skills right into my 20s. And I was partying. I was drinking. I was, I don't know, experimenting with some drugs. But I I never developed into any of the addictions, into the alcoholism and the drug addiction. My addictions were definitely around codependency and relationships. Now, I would tend to date people who struggled with alcohol use and I would kind of be there by their side and I just really, really needed all these people to fill this gaping hole in my soul. And the problem was that it never worked. Men never worked. People never worked. And what I found out is that accomplishment never really worked too. No matter how much money I made or how successful I looked on the outside, I was still just uh had all of this pain. So in my twenties Everything began to not be as fun anymore. I, the relationships weren't fun. The partying wasn't fun. And I started to struggle with, you know, not addiction. I, so in my twenties, I just started to struggle with depression and anxiety. And I had a lot of suicidal ideation. I just couldn't manage my way out of my feelings anymore. And so I was involved in this relationship and we got into a physical altercation and I was, it was really, really a low point for me. And a friend of mine asked me if I wanted to go to Al-Anon and I had been asked to go to Al-Anon before, as I said, my parents were in recovery. I knew a lot of their friends and I didn't want to do that because I thought that was the dumbest, most weak thing that I could do. You know, I, my goal in life pretty much was to not get in the situation my parents had been in and and, you know they were very involved in the recovery scene and I thought if I landed there that means that I had failed at not becoming them now this is so far from the truth and such faulty thinking but that's where my head was at the time so no I didn't want to go to Al-Anon with those 12 stepping geeks (laughs) who wanted to be there (laughs) But at the time, I was so so defeated by what was going on in my life, and I was like, "Fine, you know, I'll go." And when I went, oh my gosh, it was like getting the oxygen I had been needing my whole entire life, and it was it was a uh, it was altering. It was life altering. It turned me around a hundred and eighty degrees, and so. A couple of things that Elanon did for me is one, I was around people who were happy and who were joyful. I'd never really seen that before. And they were telling my story. And I I thought it was so important and unique in my pain and my experience. And I'm like, oh, you know, my father had mental illness and there was drug addiction. You know what? Everybody had, had experienced some version of that in that room that was really enlightening. Secondly, working the 12 steps gave me structure. It gave me structure and this blueprint to spirituality. I had, I had had some religious dealings in my upbringing and, and a little bit of religious abuse and the fact that shame and guilt were really instilled in me as a way of control and it didn't resonate with me. So I had pretty much given up on god and spirituality and anything like that so the 12 steps really gave me a little bit of wiggle room to examine my my relationship with what i call god today but i couldn't even call god god back then but it gave me that and it also gave me the opportunity to ask myself what do i want to do with my life and what i decided is i wanted to be of service I wanted to be of service and that manifested in me deciding to go to graduate school and to get a master's degree in counseling. So Al-Anon turned my life completely around and, oh, what also happened because of that is that I met my now husband through some people that I knew in that group. So I wouldn't have even become an artist if I wouldn't have gone to Al-Anon. Isn't that crazy? So I'll just stop with the timeline of my story there and just talk about now I've told you my story. What is my purpose in this? You know, I, it's not that I'm trying to get you to go to Al-Anon, although I will use Al-Anon as one of my resources for this podcast. If you are dealing with someone who has an addiction or any kind of illness, really, You're dealing with somebody who has an eating disorder or an illness. Al-Anon's a beautiful place to go and heal. But in addition, I think my major point here is that because I made a decision to do something differently and utilize that resource, my life changed exponentially. I mean, it was really a miracle. And Al-Anon isn't the only resource out there, although it's fabulous. You know, people can pick up a book or a healing modality, or listen to a podcast and their life can take a completely different direction. So I guess I just want to say that if you can show up for yourself and if you can utilize a resource, please do, please do, because there can be joy and healing and love and possibilities that you didn't even know existed on the other side of it. So exciting, right? So exciting. You know, I I always hated it when people would say, when they were dating, and they'd say, you know, he or she comes from a really good family. That used to instill a lot of shame in me because I thought that my family wasn't good because they were afflicted with, with all of this. But now, one of the most beautiful things that I that I can allow myself is that I did come from a really good family, a really loving family. And they just had a, this heavy weight and all this illness that, that really attacked our family. And you know what I would say, I can even say that I came from a great family because most people don't survive this. Most people don't survive this, this level of illness and trauma and, still love each other. And, um, you know, they, they really did that. My grandparents and my parents and my aunts and my uncles and the friends of our family, we, we all survived that. So whatever you're going through, you can survive it too. And so I'm going to leave you with three resources that I have utilized and, uh, referenced in some way or another during this podcast Of course, the first one is Al-Anon. It's a 12-step group for friends and families of alcoholics. If you are really desperate and very concerned about someone's drinking or drug use or, I mean, honestly, just overall generally annoying behavior, this is a wonderful place. There are meetings pretty much everywhere. I'll link the website where you can find a meeting in your area, of course, in the show notes, along with the rest of these materials, it's very affordable. It's usually one to three dollars a meeting and it's worth its weight in gold. So if you are interested in that, certainly pick that up. The other one that I didn't mention by name in the podcast, but has been so enlightening for me is a book called Supernormal, The Untold Story of Adversity and Resilience by Meg Jay. And this is for the people who had struggles when they were growing up, less than ideal to catastrophic circumstances. And, you know, they didn't sink under the pressure. They rose to the occasion. They became achievers and successful and extraordinary, but they did it kind of as a reaction to you know, they didn't want to be the trauma that they came from. Now, this is a wonderful way to, you know, react to trauma, but it's not without its emotional baggage. And uh, it comes with uh, a few things. And so if that resonates with you, if you're, if you're just one of those achievers, but life still doesn't feel right, like it fits, this might be a wonderful book for you. It certainly helped me. And the last one that really helped me do this podcast, tell my story, show up with vulnerability, it was not easy. It was hard. I, you know, of course, I wonder what people are going to think. Are they going to judge me or, you know, are they going to feel sorry for me? All these things. Are they going to think that I don't have it together? It's hard to show up with vulnerability. So this book, Daring Greatly. Uh, the courage to be vulnerable transforms the way we live, love, parent and lead by Brene Brown. And if you haven't heard of her, you will know because she is everywhere and she's absolutely fantastic and makes a great argument for vulnerability as a tool for connection and really getting the love and the need to be seen met with. courage to be vulnerable so those are the three resources if you like them let me know because uh three very powerful powerful books and and meetings so anyway that is it and as always if you like this podcast please leave me five stars and give me a review it really really helps me out it gets this podcast listened to and distributed so that would really be a big help and i would definitely appreciate it you can sign up for my brand new newsletter and the podcast will land in your inbox every single week straight to the source and uh as always you can find me on instagram at leah fisher art so please follow me there and see what we're talking about for the art of and i just want to thank you for showing up and allowing me to be me and uh, witnessing me as I truly am. I will talk to you soon.